You're listening to a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. For more info about Grace, please go to www.graceorange.org. And now, join us as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible Word. Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. What we're going to see today is that Jesus Christ alone is the only Savior, the only sacrifice, and the only mediator. We want to see his exclusive identity and absolute sufficiency is irrefutable, even though a lot of people try to refute it. We must cling to his exclusive identity and absolute sufficiency. So if you're able, please stand. I'm going to read Romans 3, 21 to 26. And like every time we get together, our goal today is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at the fourth of five solas of the Reformation, Solus Christus, also known as Christ alone. And really it's the glue that holds everything together. It's the make or break doctrine of the complete sufficiency of Christ. So hear the word. Here we go. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray you'd open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in it today, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Fifty years ago, Francis Schaeffer identified a serious problem that still exists. He said, I've come to the point when I hear the word Jesus, which means so much to me because of the person of the historic Jesus and his work, I listen carefully because I have with sorrow become more afraid of the word Jesus than almost any other word in the modern world. The word is used as a contentless banner. Increasingly over the past few years, the word Jesus, separated from the content of the scriptures, has been the enemy of the Jesus of history. The Jesus who died and rose and is coming again and who is the eternal son of God. Problems still exist today. There are people who think that many roads lead to God. University of Virginia sociologist James Hunter found that 35% of evangelical seminarians, those that are getting ready for the ministry, deny faith in Christ is absolutely necessary. George Barna found that for um, evangelicals in America, it's pretty much the same. That many people who profess to be followers of Christ say this, 
God will save all good people when they die, regardless of whether they've trusted in Christ. They'll say, if a person is good or does enough good things for others during life, they will earn a place in heaven. Two-thirds of those surveyed of evangelical Christians say this, that Christians, Jews, Muslims, and Buddhists, and others all pray to the same God, even though they use different names for that God. Well, I'm here to tell you today that only Jesus saves. Only Jesus. Christ alone saves. And, and this is where the five solas come in, in case you've been wondering, like, again, what's the deal with the five solas? Well, these are five key biblical doctrines that existed before the 1500s but were recaptured in that time. Scripture alone shows that salvation uh, is, is only one way, in Christ alone. Grace alone, God's grace extended to us in Christ alone. Faith alone is salvation through faith in Christ alone. So Christ alone is what we're looking at today. That's the hub around which the doctrines of the gospel revolve. All five of the solas are interrelated. They can't, you can't have one without the others. And they encapsulate the heart of the gospel. But Christ alone stands point, connects the others, shows us God's glory in the gospel. Christ alone. And by Christ alone, we mean three things related to his life, his death, and his resurrection. Christ alone is the only Savior, Christ alone is the only sacrifice, and Christ alone is the only mediator. And so we're going to look first at the idea that Christ alone is the only Savior. Look with me at verse 21, Romans 3, verse 21, because this is the truth that's seen in the life of Christ. It says that now the righteousness of God has been manifested, has been shown apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. You read all about it in the law and the prophets. And so first we've got to think about prophecy. That, that the, the saviorhood of Christ was promised. That he was heralded as savior prior to his birth. Heralded as savior during his infancy. Heralded as savior during his life, throughout his whole life. When Jesus came on the scene and began his ministry, he defined his life in terms of Isaiah 61, uh, what the prophet had said about the Messiah to come. Early on in Nazareth, he is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they give him the scroll of Isaiah to read. And it's recorded in Luke 4, verses 18 and 19. Here's what Jesus read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he finished, rolled the scroll up, handed it back, and said this, recorded in Luke 4.21. He said, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Just now, right now. He hadn't gone to the cross he hadn't been killed and then buried, and, and he hadn't risen from the dead yet, and it was as good as done. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. He's the suffering servant. His death is described in Isaiah 53. I don't think you, I don't think you can go to Isaiah 53 too often. In Isaiah 53, just a few verses. He was despised and rejected by men, 
man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. This was written over 700 years before Jesus was born. The suffering servant who would be the savior of the world. When Jesus was born, his parents took him to the temple. And, and Simeon is holding the infant Christ and says, My eyes have seen your salvation, God. You can let me die in peace now. I've seen your salvation. Because Jesus is the only savior. Romans 3 talks about the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is an exclusivity to Jesus. He is the only Savior. John 14, 6, he said it. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Think about that. Next time you say all roads lead to heaven. Acts 4.12 tells us there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. There is one way of salvation. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It came out in his teaching. In John chapter 3, he's talking to Nicodemus. And right after he says John 3.16, the next words are, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be what? Saved through him. John chapter 7, people were wondering about Jesus, and they said, this is the Christ. Like, this is the one, this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. But others were saying, whoa, whoa, time out. Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David, from Bethlehem, the village where David was? They knew where the Savior would come from. He's the only Savior, and it's shown in his perfect obedience. Philippians 2.8 tells us he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. You can't say it much clearer than that. And he has total sufficiency. Listen to some things that Jesus said before he went to the cross. Matthew 11, that beautiful passage in verses 28 through 30 where he invites us. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. Because he's the only Savior. Totally sufficient. John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's total sufficiency. He says, if anyone thirsts, John 7, 37, let him come to me and drink. John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Now Isaiah had said that the people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's the only Savior. He's totally sufficient. The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You notice the words, and sometimes we pass right by them because we are so used to, to these words, Jesus Christ. I want you to think with me for a moment about those two words, Jesus Christ. Combines a proper name and a title. For clarity, you really should say Jesus the Christ. 
I think Christ is used so often with Jesus that some think it's his last name. It's not his last name. Jesus identifies the person who lived in Palestine, known as Jesus of Nazareth. It's transliterated from the Hebrew, from Joshua. Jesus and Joshua means God saves. Christ. It's it's Jesus' supreme title. In the Old Testament, God had promised the Israelites that the Messiah uh, would deliver them from sin. So it comes from the Greek Christos, which means anointed one, translates the Hebrew word for Messiah. So Christ, Messiah, means that Jesus is the anointed one from God, the only Savior. When a king was crowned in those days, when a priest was consecrated, he was anointed with oil. It was a sign of sovereign power, as a sign of priesthood. So combined, when you say Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, and you're, you're not using God's name in vain, you're using it in a right way, in a worshipful way, when you say Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus, you are making a confession of faith in the only Savior, Jesus the Messiah. This has huge implications, Christ being the only Savior. We think, wrongly so, but we think often that our age is so unique, there's so much pluralism, there's so many religions. Before the Reformation, there was a Renaissance thinker named Petrarch who was calling for an age of the Spirit where all religions would be united. Sound familiar? And many in that time were deceived into thinking that Christ was not the only way. They had this fascination with pagan philosophy that fostered the idea that nature offered salvation to those who did not have faith in Christ. And many were led astray. But Christ's all-sufficiency by implication means we are insufficient. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says it very clearly. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Our adequacy is from God. Christ alone is the only Savior. And it's a truth that's born out in his life. You want to apply that? then praise Jesus as the only Savior. Praise him, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you are the only Savior. There is one way of salvation, one way. First time I installed a kitchen faucet, uh, Angela and I were newly married, and, and I put the faucet in backwards. Yes, you can do that. I didn't follow the instructions, and I had to disassemble it and do a do-over. So there's like three hours of work. First time I ever did this, three hours of work down the drain, right? But I couldn't choose what went where. I was bound by the designer's design. It's the same way with salvation. God has given one way of salvation. Jesus is the only Savior. And, And if you look down in verse 26... He is the Savior for the one who has faith in him, faith in Jesus. You've got to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Do I have faith in Christ? Faith in Christ will make you humble. You realize you couldn't drum it up. You couldn't ever earn it. And faith in Christ will make you thankful. Without it, you can't please God, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Faith in Christ, you will be hungry for God and his word because Jesus is your life. Faith in Christ puts you on point. 
It recalibrates your heart, and you say, you know what? I want to serve God's purposes, not my own agenda, not my own ideas, not my own purposes. Faith in Christ will persist. You will actually persist in faith because God continues you in faith. Romans 1.17 tells us that, that he takes us from faith to faith, not faith to Take care of it on your own and I'll see you in heaven, but Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He takes us from start to finish. It's awesome. He's the only Savior. He's an all-sufficient Savior. And faith in Christ is a gift from God and from his unmerited grace. So your life should show evidence of that at work. God at work in your heart. Christ alone is the only Savior. And number two, Christ alone is the only sacrifice. And pick it up at, at the middle of verse 22 with me, where it says, for there is no distinction. And here we're going to see a truth reflected in Christ's death. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin condemns us. The Family Feud game show once asked contestants, how many of the Ten Commandments have you broken this week? Number one answer, wait for it, one, we are deluded, we're delusional. You know, 85% of people, uh, of Americans say, I will stand before God in judgment, but only 11% of them say, I might go to hell. If you think that you can pass God's inspection, you don't see your need for Christ. Look at verse 24. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. So we're, now we're talking about justification, which is a judicial act of God. We're in the law court now with God. He's making a legal declaration where he pardons your sins and he accepts you as righteous. You know, it's not a fair transaction. We get, we get everything in Christ. And there's nothing for us to, to offer for it. God pardons your sins and accepts you as righteous in his sight. That's how he sees you. You don't see yourself in this way, but this is how he sees you. You have a new status. And it happened in a point in time. It was an instantaneous declaration of God on your behalf. It's not a process. He, he says, you are just. You are right in my sight. It's the judge's verdict. He's, he's declared it. That God meets his, the requirements of his own justice by punishing sin in his son. This is why on, 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 in this chapter, in verse 28, it says, we're justified by faith apart from works of the law. And so then, we can... We can revel in that. And we can say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me. I remember when I was a children's pastor, I remember there was a silly song that we sang. It had a silly tune and a silly way of doing it, but it was Galatians 2.20, word for word. So while it was a silly tune, uh, it was an awesome verse to memorize. And, and that verse says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I won't Get my guitar and sing it the way that we did in the, in the 80s. Um, I've been, I know, I know. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And then he says this, the life that I now live in the flesh, 
I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me, who gave himself for me. It's very easy to think of that statement, uh, the, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, uh, this statement of our death and the death of Christ as I want to live committed to Christ. That's not what it's saying. It is not an exhortation to personal holiness. There are many of those in Scripture. It is an affirmation Get this, it is an affirmation of being justified by faith alone, through your faith in Christ alone. Christ lives in me. It's a radical comment on your legal standing with God in Christ. So you can stand before God's judgment seat and stand before God with only Christ. You've died and Christ lives in you and you will live in eternity with him And he died the death that you should have died, and he lived the death you needed, excuse me, he lived the life you needed to live. This This is what God has done in Christ, the only sacrifice. There's no other sacrifice to be given, once for all. John Bunyan commented on this. He said, look, one of the greatest mysteries in the world, that a righteousness that resides with a person in heaven should justify me, a sinner on earth. It should blow you away. And it should give you pause to know this. God doesn't let people into heaven indiscriminately. It's not like someone can scurry around him while he's not looking. There are a lot of people with false hope who think that they're Christians, but they're not trusting in Jesus. God justifies those who believe. And he gives that instantaneous legal act on his, be, on his part, that declares your sins forgiven and Christ's righteousness yours. And it is a verdict that will never be repealed and never be overturned. Keep moving in verse 24 with me. There's more. It's through the redemption. Now we have uh, the marketplace term redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption, a marketplace term from the world of commerce, even from the slave market. And it means to purchase and buy back and liberate a slave. Well, Jesus accomplished our redemption through the shedding of his blood on the cross. Now, what was Martin Luther all worked up about and what do we get all worked up about? People who say, no, no, salvation is another way. Uh, there's, there's another sacrifice you can make. In fact, you can spend all sorts of money and, and, and get that. October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed 95 theses, complaints against abuses in the church, to the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany. Pope Leo X had been offering indulgences, which is uh, basically forgiveness for a fee, to those who gave to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And there was the aggressive marketing practices of one Johann Tetzel who promoted this, and it provoked Martin Luther to, in in large part, to write these 95 complaints because he was condemning the purchase and sale of salvation. Thesis number 28, Luther objected to, to a saying attributed to Tetzel. Here's what it said. As soon as a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. So Luther was denying the Pope's right to grant pardons on God's behalf. Only thing indulgences were guaranteeing was larger profits and greed. 
And he knew for sure from the word of God, as we ought to know from the word of God, that the power to forgive sin is in God's power alone. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. Keep moving with me. Let's go into verse 25 now. We're still in the same sentence, okay? We're still in the same sentence. It's even in the ESV, it's a shorter sentence, but it goes like this. There is no distinction. We're starting back in 22. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 23, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25 now, whom God put forward as a propitiation. It's a great word. Is it, don't be afraid of that word. Propitiation is a wonderful, beautiful word. It's the language of sacrifice. Christ's death on the cross was a substitutionary sacrifice satisfying the just wrath of God on our behalf. It's consistent with his holiness because God must punish sin. It is an amazing transaction. Jesus became our sin and guilt, and we received his righteousness through faith alone. Jesus suffered as our substitute for our sin, died our death. Jesus said it before he went to the cross. Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man... Which, by the way, Son of Man is a, is a greater uh, declaration of deity than even the term Son of God. So even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he's our representative. He paid our penalty. Romans 8, 3, uh, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin in the place of sinners. He condemned sin in the flesh. And what was this all to show? Again, in verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. This is how this passage began. The righteousness of God is shown, is, is manifested. And, and righteousness is an accounting word. It means to have something credited to your account. Abraham's faith was reckoned or counted or credited as righteousness. The righteousness imputed or credited is the righteousness of Christ by his perfect life. Christ fulfilled all that Adam failed to fulfill. So, Romans 5.19 tells us, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. It was credited. Uh, it, you're made right with God. It, your account is loaded up. This is why Paul could say in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss. I have my whole resume, and it's not going to give me anything. It, it's, it's, there's, it's nothing, but I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Alien righteousness, substitutionary righteousness, Christ's righteousness, right standing with God as a free gift credited to you. And it says in verse 25, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, the sins were put on Christ at the cross. So Christ alone is the only sacrifice, and this truth is clearly reflected in his death. How do you apply this? Say, okay, I, wanna, I want to uh, apply the fact that Christ is the only sacrifice. Well, in your own heart, you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it. And then you've got to proclaim him as the only sacrifice. Proclaim him as the only way, the only sacrifice. Launch a full frontal assault on faith in man. Declare that God alone reveals himself and saves us. We don't find him, he finds us. 
that Jesus is the only way of knowing what God is really like, of entering into relationship with God as father rather than judge, of being saved from his wrath. You've got to grasp some important truths. No one seeks God on their own initiative. Romans 3.11 tells us that. No one can come to Christ unless and until God opens their heart to, to believe the gospel. No one can come to Christ unless the Father draws them, John 6, 44. And Jesus says in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. You who are worried so much about it, if you're really saved, if you have faith in Christ, you are eternally safe in Christ. And there's an essential response. You hear me say it often, but it's an essential response to God's love in sending Christ to die in your place to pay for your sin. It's exactly what Acts 16.31 says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The basis of our salvation is Jesus Christ. We need to turn from our sins and trust in Jesus. The basis of that salvation is Jesus Christ. Now let's say your dad goes to the fair and wins you a prize. Goes to the booth where all the balloons need to be popped and he pops every balloon with the darts. And he gets a big fluffy prize for you and, and you open your hand to receive it. So your hand is the instrument by which you receive the prize that your father won. But you and your hand deserve and get no credit for having the prize. It's a gift. Your prize receiving is due to your father's prize winning. And, and his accomplishment secured the gift. It made it possible for you. It's, it's like what God has done for us in Christ. So trying on your own to get right with God won't work. No matter how many times you go to church or give or pray, your attempts are worthless. Your, your religion, religion won't save you. Morality won't save you. Our efforts are completely corrupt. Now, I run across a lot of Christians that are very sensitive to their sin. And rightly, we should be. We should be sensitive to our sin. We should want to live a life of repentance. But sometimes, uh, our sensitivity to our sin uh, takes us down the low road and we, we feel like we're always defeated rather than walking in victory in Christ. And so I would just say this to you. If, 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 if you're sensitive to your sin, praise God and, and, and praise Jesus as the only Savior. But let, let the knowledge of what Christ has done uh, fuel your love for him um, and, 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 and help you to contemplate the goodness of God in sending Christ as the only Savior and the only sacrifice because that takes you up on the high road. Um, Jesus is, is called in 1 Peter 2 the shepherd and guardian of our souls, literally the pastor and elder of our souls. Let him minister to your soul in that regard. Uh, don't let your sin cause you to go down the low road of defeat, uh, but, but really... Let Christ's sacrifice be something you revel in and relish. See, Christ is our peace. He is our peace. Uh, so many people who say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, they're like devoid of peace in their life. They're always worked up. They're always anxious. They're always confused. John Calvin said this, Christ stepped in, took punishment upon himself, bore judgment due to sinners. With his own blood, he expiated the sins which made them enemies of God and thereby satisfied him. We look to Christ alone for divine favor and fatherly love. 
Christ is called king of peace and our peace because, and I love this phrase, because he quiets all agitations of conscience. Let Christ quiet all the agitations of your conscience. He is the only way. He is the only way. So proclaim his excellencies out of love for him. Not to earn anything, just to, just to praise God for his goodness and, and let others know. You, you know how you just love to tell people about the one you love? Well, tell people about the one you love. Proclaim God's greatness in Christ. The California Department of uh, Fish and Wildlife sent me an email the other day, and they were telling me uh, that August is shaping up to be a record fishing month, a, a gold medal month for anglers, as they put it, that the big, wet, snowy winter has high country streams, rivers, and lakes in peak form. Fishing season, they say, shows no signs of slowing down. We're not talking about the dog days of summer here, folks. We're talking about fishing season that is just steamrolling down the road. Makes me excited. But let that be true for us as we fish for souls. It's not just, you know, dog days of summer. The fields are white for harvest. So tell the grace of God in the gospel. Tell people how magnificent Christ is. Now, I've got my fishing license. I uh, follow the rules. And if you're a believer in God, if you're a believer in Jesus specifically, God gave you a lifetime license to fish for souls. And then when you, when you fish, sometimes you catch. I fished several times this summer. I did a little bit of catching. But remember this, you do the fishing, God does the catching. We can enjoy that. I love sitting there fishing. I can fish all day long. I just love it. I love catching, but it's just wonderful to be out contemplating God's goodness and, and life in general and just fish. I know some, not everyone loves it, but just enjoy it with Jesus. Just enjoy it with Jesus. Go out and just proclaim how, how amazing that Christ the only sacrifice is. Let's move on to the last point here. Christ alone is not, is not only the only Savior, not only the only sacrifice, but he is the only mediator. That's the third point. Look at verse 26, last verse. This is seen in his resurrection and present ministry. That it's his, to show his righteousness at the present time that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And here's the interesting thing. Here's the amazing thing. Justification is a point in time, instantaneous, legal declaration of God on your behalf. But he keeps you justified all the way through. Author and perfecter of your faith. You are in a justified state all the way through because God does it. He's the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. It's not a temporary thing. It's permanent. He's our mediator. First Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He stands between us and God. In the Middle Ages, ministers were seen uh, as having a special connection to God, mediating God's grace and forgiveness to people. Some people still think this way. But here's the truth. As, as our priest, as our great high priest, Jesus represents us before God. He offered the supreme sacrifice. He is the only Savior. He is our priest forever. And so he is our advocate. 1 John 2, 1 says, if anyone sins, and this is written to believers, 
You're, you're saved, but you still sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Because God is judge, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the one through whom God will judge all mankind. And if you're a believer, your right standing before God as judge was secured at the cross. It was assured by his literal, physical resurrection from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he mediates as our advocate and high priest. And guess what will happen at the final judgment? The salvation that you now enjoy by faith will be proclaimed to the whole world. That's how much God loves us. And Jesus is our intercessor. Romans 8 says this. This is awesome. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? God justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. He was condemned for us. He was raised. He's at the right hand of God who is interceding for us. Can you grasp this? That Jesus is praying right now for us. Hebrews 7.25 says, able to save, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. So if God has saved you, Jesus is praying for you right now. Does that not blow you away? He's the only mediator. Huge implications. Guarantees your prayers. You can pray now. You get to pray. You can pray. You can come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need because of Jesus. And if you're a leader in the church, uh, you're a shepherd, you're a pastor because we are called to shepherd the flock of God among us. We're not priests over people. We are with the body and we are shepherds. And, and if you're a believer, everybody's a priest. You go straight to God because we have a high priest. You can go straight to God. Don't have to go through me or anybody else. Go straight to God on your own. Christ alone is the only mediator seen in his resurrection, and it's seen in his present ministry. How, how should we apply this? Well, we should want to please him as our only mediator. We're weak, aren't we? God is strong, isn't he? Don't let that idea, by the way, uh, cause you to give up and entertain sin. Christ is on the throne. His, his throne is not a game. You need to pursue Christ on his throne and set aside anything that takes your eyes off of Christ. Abandon stumbling blocks and harmful things in front of you and others. Acknowledge Christ alone on the throne. No other place in your life for things that you think about and watch and, and, and engage in that cause you to not worship Christ enthroned. No place in your life for ungodly things like Game of Thrones and so many other things. Because we worship Christ enthroned. Christ mediating for you, by the way, being your intercessor, is not an invitation to, to just live however you want because you're covered with life, you know, with life and fire insurance or however you want to put it. Uh, Christ mediating for you is an invitation to be an alien, not a friend of the world. The Bible's very clear on this. That we ought to say no to the world for the sake of the world. People need to see how Christ affects our lives. That we ought not to copy the world so that people don't think we're weird or wacky. Whose, who's, whose reputation are we more concerned about? The, the trap of over-identification with the world has tripped up many professing believers and has tainted both their morals and their witness. Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. R.C. Sproul says that Christ is the man who is the issue. There was confusion about Jesus when he was on earth. Jesus asked his disciples, um, who do people say that I am? He's taking the pulse of his culture. The disciples are ticking off various views. Uh, well, some are saying John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets. All incorrect, by the way. Good shot, but no. Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter IDs Jesus correctly. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, oh, you're blessed to have this understanding. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who's in heaven. Peter didn't figure it out himself. And so Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power and after he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As our only savior, as our only sacrifice, as our only mediator, so we should praise him. We should proclaim him. We should want to please him. It should make us serious and it should make us joyful at the same time. You know that, 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 that feeling of being serious and joyful at the same time? Sober joy. I keep thinking of that verse, taste and see that the Lord is good. I could tell you uh, how majestic uh, Zion and Bryce Parks are. I'll tell you all about it. Describe it and, and as if you, you, you could smell the dust on the trails. How beautiful it is. I could describe the geysers in, in Yellowstone or, or how striking Mount Rushmore is in, in real life, in person. But at the end of the day, you're going to have to, you're gonna have to at least see a picture and not even that, you're going to have to go there. You're going to have to see for yourself. Like, don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. Martin Luther said this. The life of Christianity consists in possessive pronouns. It is one thing to say Christ is a savior. It is quite another to say he is my savior and my Lord. The devil can say the first. The true Christian alone can say the second. And Lord, we thank you that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.